In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Onyx Hunt provides detailed, color-coded maps with public and private land ownership information. Onyx turns your phone into a fully functional GPS, even when cell phone service is not available, and gain the confidence to hunt new areas and states. Game wardens are using Onyx to make sure you are hunting in the right spot. Shouldn't you be using Onyx first? Start your free 7-day trial by visiting Google Play and the App Store. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and I use Onyx. Wish you could fish more, anywhere, anytime. Rod Geeks, a St. Croix Rods partner, has developed a 42-inch one-piece travel rod designed and built with the same technology found in St. Croix Rods. This travel rod is offered as a kit that comes with the RG42 rod, spinning reel, fishing line, pliers, and tackle tray. All in a case with space for your wallet, phone, and fishing license. Just grab and go. Perfect to keep in your pickup, car, or RV. This shorty performs much like a longer rod, but is compact enough for easy storage and for on-the-go use. Make this the summer you fish more. RodGeeks.com GuideFitter.com GuideFitter, bridging you to the outdoors while providing a quality platform for guides and outfitters for you to select from. GuideFitter is the best place to get discounts on gear if you're an outdoor professional. As a game warden, I'm a member of the Outdoor Government Program, which has over 80 quality brands to get discounts from. It's free to join. Yes, free to join. And all you need to do is prove that you're an active outdoor government employee. There are all kinds of products available. Apparel, boots, archery equipment, optics, backpacks, cameras, 
watches, ammo, anything, you name it. And while you're there, check out the articles, information, and stories that you'll be inspired from. So before you head out to work in the outdoors or start your next outdoor adventure, check out guidefitter.com and get discounts on your everyday or every so often outdoor equipment. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders for Guidefitter. Wireless partners building the first net cellular network for AT&T in New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont to ensure first responders can always communicate in emergency situations so you know help is on the way when you need it. Wireless Partners is partnering for success with communities, local and state government, local business, and visitors. Wireless Partners, building cellular networks for you. This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. And this podcast is with Ron Olis, who is currently Ohio's Division of Wildlife Special Operations Supervisor. Is that right, Ron? Correct. Great. And what does that job entail? Because that sounds... um, Probably pretty the, important <laughs> to some people it might be yeah the uh, basically i oversee our large statewide investigations uh that's kind of all those things that fall under me large overt cases covert cases all those all those things kind of come under my perusal huh. and then i have you know, i have other duties as well i'm the state's permit person, the ginseng coordinator. Duties runner, as assigned, runner. right? The other duties yep, as assigned. That, that, that small writing at the bottom of your, yeah, duties as assigned. The tip you know, coordinator. The tip coordinator, which uh, tip for those that don't know, turn into poacher. Correct. So, and I love that acronym. Um, we talked to Jen uh, from uh, Michigan and they have a RAP program. I think it's the only RAP program and it's uh, report all poaching. Right. I always preach my branding thing that we all should be the same, all branding the same thing. So, but it's going to take years to change that. The West did a good job at that. The West. Operation Game Thief. Yes. Operation Game Thief has been branded well, no doubt. So, and there's a lot of those out there. So, but TIP is, uh, how many states do you think have a TIP program? Oh, TIP, it's that name? Yes. Oh, no idea, but I know there's a handful of there them. There is a handful of them because I think that was probably the next most popular after Operation Game Thief yeah. is turning a poacher tip, which yeah. is pretty cool because it's it's a tip. Exactly. You know, so that whoever did that, that the whole idea did it did a good plan and it, it came out it came out fairly good. So uh, we've been around since '81. Yeah, you know, someone was thinking back in the '80s. Right, and I think uh, our operation campaign started in '87, and it was just another spin, and people decided what they were going to jump on, and uh, you know, because uh, if Texas and Maine are Operation Game Thieves, they help brand New Hampshire because we're an Operation Game Thief as well. There's my little branding uh, explanation. <laughs> so, but you know, the real reason I wanted to talk to Ron today is because Ohio had its biggest deer case in its history. This well, it started in 2016, right, Ron? Correct. 
and finished adjudicating last September, so 2018. September of 2018 was the final court proceedings, right? Yeah. Took about two and a half years. Two and a half court. years just to, to prosecute it. Just to prosecute it. Yeah. That's that's crazy. But when 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 you you guys start hearing how in depth this uh, wildlife investigation was, you'll understand why it took two and a half years to move through the court system, and how many players were involved. And you guys gave that a kind of a catchy name too, didn't you? Yeah, Operation North Coast. Operation North oh. Coast, because Ohio yeah. has a North Coast. Ohio has a North Coast. Okay. <laughs> you never lakes. think of Ohio having a North Coast, but <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give it to you. Yeah, on shores of Lake Erie. So, Shores of uh, Lake Erie. We had multiple cases. Some of them were interrelated, mm-hmm. and uh, they were all counties. You know, every every case had an element that had uh, uh, that touched the North Lake Coast. Erie, touched the North Coast. Did you come uh, up with that name yourself? I did not. Okay, I did not. One of the one of those smart investigators that I have came up with that one. <laughs> you had to approve uh, it though, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah. so you approved the Operation North Coast. Now, let, let, let's get into it. Can you just you know st- start off where it started? Yeah, well, the amount of deer heads confiscated, it's a shocking picture to say the least, but it's a success story that the Ohio game wardens were able to do this. So thank you, Ohio. Appreciate it. Appreciate Ron Ellis doing the the podcast with me. And there's another thank you I'm going to do. I want to thank Wireless Partners. Wireless Partners is a company that I worked for when I sold uh, Internet Trail Runner. Since then, it's been sold. But they bought on to Warden's Watch podcast from the beginning, and they really bought on to me. Bob Pariso, who is the president, is just an outstanding veteran and an outstanding owner. This company's veteran-owned, and he leads it, and they invested in me, and I just wanted to say thank you for that. Uh, I really appreciate getting me off my feet, and uh, now I'm probably looking for someone else to fill their shoes, so... If you know somebody that wants to advertise on Warden's Watch, have them reach out to me. Thank you. Episode 20, Operation North Coast, Ohio. As I said, the case has multiple aspects. And uh, uh, for Ohio, if you don't know Ohio, you know the Lake Erie runs pretty much so the entire north north side of it. And it's full uh, of walleye. Full of walleye, especially well, right now. I fished there, and I also baited there myself because I got sick out there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, was a, it was the choppiest day I've ever seen. And yeah, I, my wife kept having me bait those little little things to jig up or bait, and I was looking down and up down. Yeah, I, I fed the fish on Lake Erie, but what an what an awesome lake and what a fishery too. The fishery is phenomenal right yeah. now. We've had a couple of record hatches and. The fishing is great. Yeah, I want to go back there to walleye fish because uh, that day didn't do it justice. We only <laughs> caught a couple, but I and I wasn't feeling that good. But gotcha. Yeah. So and, uh, and walleye play into the case a little bit. So, oh, good. Uh, perch and walleye on Lake Erie. You had folks who were sport catching fish out of the lake, mm-hmm. commercializing that. Uh, wow. Those fish. And and I love walleye and I love perch. The only thing I was choking on is the price when I went up there because. Uh, jigging perch all my life and eating them and loving it and i went up there and i was like oh, i'll have perch because i like to eat the local food and it was 18 dollars for fish and chips when it was perch i'm like ouch you know how many people in northern new hampshire throw perch away they think it's a trash fish i'm like did they know it was 18 dollars a pound and you know ohio they'd be driving to ohio with their perch oh yeah yeah it's uh yeah, perch is pricey Yes, uh, it is, and uh, there's not a lot of places you can get it either commercially. Yeah, no, uh, and that and that's a sustainable fishery. F- yes, yeah, we still have a commercial fishery on Lake Erie for perch. Wow. 
And walleye? Uh, not for walleye. Okay, so that's so, all uh, recreational. Com- correct. Uh, commercial fish or commercial walleye are mm-hmm. coming out of Canada. Okay. Uh, Canada, share share that resource with us. Right. But, uh, they so they commercially nearly, fish them and you don't. Right. Well, they don't have the sport fishery that we do. Oh. So when you look at on the Great Lakes, and we're t- totally off topic here. I know we're totally great, off topic, and I, everybody commission. forgive me to get we start this case, and then I <laughs> yeah. I just talk about Lake Erie because I, I the time I spent up there was awesome, and I had a good time, and Ron had us over his house. We shot skeet in his backyard, and my son was ecstatic about that. So, um, yeah, I, I love that it's, it's Lake Erie. So I, I want to get back there good and fish walleye. In Ohio, remember that uh, exactly. That's the so take home message. <laughs> but we share that lake with you know Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. New York, Ontario, Michigan, Ohio. Yeah, and so we, you know, Great Lakes Fishery Commission, uh-huh. and they total allow, allowable catches and how that's divided up. And for Ohio, all of our catch goes for walleye mm-hmm. goes to sport fishermen. Yeah, in Canada, they give some to sport fishermen, but I think most of their catch goes to commercial, to commercial netters, uh-huh. just because they don't have the sport fishermen like we do on the right. state side. So in Pennsylvania, do you know what they? Pennsylvania do? only has a small, you know, they're they don't have a commercial fishery for walleye. Okay, so it's um, all it's sport. all sport. Sport fish, but they have a pretty small sliver of the lake. And same thing for New York. They have a pretty mm-hmm. small sliver of the lake. So there's pretty much all sport fishing on the U.S. side. Yes, correct. Huh. And that, that's worked out well through the years? It's worked out well. Yeah, with good relationships there. That The commission, so yeah. to speak. Great governing body. You know, It's international between the U.S. and Canada. And a lot of good things come out of that. A lot of great research mm-hmm. and uh, sharing of the resource you know, equitably. Right. That's the big thing. And after so, a couple of record years, you're doing something right. Yeah. That, yes. that's, that's Every, awesome. And everybody has a piece in that. That's nice. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So we'll, we'll so get back on tack. Back to the case. Operation so, uh, West Coast. Uh, North, North Coast. North Coast. Okay. <laughs> it, would it have been the Northwest Coast, though? No, it was all uh, North. Due okay, north. all North. So, so it, Which brought in Lake Erie, which brought in walleye and perch and everything that I really like to fish right. for. So so yeah. we're, we're going to start all over again with Operation <laughs> North Coast because it's probably the most significant wildlife case a that i have uh, that i've heard about in in recent years the biggest case in ohio and the biggest case in your tenure in my tenure absolutely and that's 27 years 27 years so this is this is this case is uh it it, it's huge it was huge and we've had some great deer cases over the years Mm -hmm. and you go operation clan bake and redbud and all these other cases that we've had operation clan bake clan clan bake yeah not clam, clan. Clan bake. Yes. So you played off of clam bake yes. and called it clan And it was all bake. They, another group out of Toledo, Ohio, who killed all kinds of things and commercialized it. But And they killed a lot of deer, but not to the volume that these guys were killing. Okay. We're going we're gonna to start with this one. But if we have time, we might have to go to Operation Clan Bake. And that one's old. That's 20, 27 years old. But, uh, it doesn't matter how old they are. It matters that, that you caught them. That we caught them. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they wouldn't have been again. old if you didn't catch them. Yeah, caught a couple of them again. Uh, isn't again. that the truth? Yeah. But North so, Coast. North Coast. Was, uh, you know, fish in the middle, basically, and we had two bookend deer cases. Start off on, on the west side, we had a gentleman by the name of Mandon Freeworth. Mm-hmm. And uh, just was that neighborhood guy that, you know, a lot of complaints. We had 27 documented complaints on Mr. Freeworth when the case went down. Um, and those complaints were regarding? Trespassing. Okay. Spotlighting, jacklighting, uh-huh. shooting deer at night, selling. Uh, we had complaints by him selling. And it was, he was just that that guy in the neighborhood that, you know, was in the thorn 
Yeah, uh, just for all the the sportsmen that were around him, that you know he he was the cheater, he was the poacher, right? And um, they they told you twenty seven times to road watch this guy. Road kind, hunt. Of, kind of a big road hunter. We had a lot of complaints on him in road hunting. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were able to work work in with him and get an investigator in place. Mm-hmm. And uh, over a period of about eighteen months, uh, document a number of crimes, uh, a lot of felonies. There was a lot of drug stuff involved here as well. It's wildlife crime of, and drug crime go hand in hand, go hand, in hand a hand. lot of times. Criminal in one element is typically a criminal in multiple elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy was a pill guy, so move, move some pills. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, kind of had a route. You know, he'd kill a deer, get it processed, and then he'd go around and he'd sell deer sausage. And uh, uh, a lot of it happened at bars, had some friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were able to document uh, several instances there end up being 21 co-defendants on that case of folks who were routine buyers of his. And knew they were buying and illegal were buying deer. Illegal. Yep. He would have it commercially processed. And as most so, states, so the sausage was commercially processed, so it was well done. It was well done. It was wrapped. It wasn't in his bag. Yeah, and it was wrapped not for sale. It was wrapped for not for sale. <laughs> and people are buying people it. people are still buying it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we did have 21 co-defendants, and those were... Uh, a spouse who was checking deer for him, his father, mm-hmm. who would help him check deer. So he'd uh, kill them, they'd, they'd check them in? Yep, they'd check them in illegally, use our electronic game check system yeah. to illegally um, So they could account for some of the so deer they that they were tag. killing. Exactly. Yeah. Most of the deer that he killed, not all of them, but most of the deer he was killing, ended up getting a tag of one shape or form. Well, that's good it that he wasn't was... wasn't in his name, yeah. but he would use his sister, was mm-hmm. another defendant here. But he would go through and commit these electronics crimes mm-hmm. and checking these deer. So you do electronic names. checking in Ohio for your yeah. deer. Where this comes into play for us, uh, that case was our first uh, wildlife RICO. Uh, rac- racketeering, organized crime. Racketeering. So, can you explain in case the list listeners aren't familiar with RICO? So RICO is, you think of organized crime. Mm-hmm. That's where the RICO statutes came from. The mob. Or the mob. Mm-hmm. You know, folks who are conspiring together. It's a conspiracy. There's all these base crimes that fall in there. But basically, when a group of people engage in a pattern of corrupt activity, which there's a whole litany of crimes that fall into there. Electronics mm-hmm. crimes are part of that. And they basically work together in concert to uh, act in an enterprise and to profit from it. So commit a bunch of illegal acts to profit in one way, shape, or form uh, as a group. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where the RICO statutes came from. You can go back to the 20s and 30s. That's where those were all born. Exactly. And, and that's uh, how they caught mobsters was the RICO. That's how they caught mobsters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we still have these, them on the books today. Exactly. So you would use all these smaller associated crimes. Mm-hmm. And then there's the engage in a pattern of corrupt activity. That's the RICO. Mm. So it may have been, you know, oh, he only did this or he only did that. He only did this. But when they do all of these things and they do it together as an enterprise, right. as a group, it's a engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity, which really, you know, it jumps up. It's an F1. Yep. You know, the so, first degree felony in a while. Yep. It makes it a big deal. So it goes to a RICO, goes to a felony. Exactly. And there's, as I mentioned already, associated crimes using a telecommunication, telecommunications device to commit a fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, Using a computer, using the phone, you know, all the different things we do. Mm-hmm. Um, false information to a government information system. That's a, another crime. And then you have theft, 
which uh, for many of these cases, the prosecutors viewed these as thefts. Right. Deer, taking a deer illegally is a theft from the people of the state of Ohio. Right. And so they looked at those as theft. And deer have a value. Uh, all, pretty much all states now have restitution value. Mm-hmm. And some, some deer in Ohio can be 20 thousand dollars based on our restitution value. And those so are it, trophy animals. Those are trophy animals. So that makes it a felony violation of theft. Mm. So in those courts held up. That, and, and, and other people, other than just the people who got caught in this, if they lie, you know, if they have someone tag something, are committing all these electronic. They're committing all these electronic crimes, so they're thrown in there as well. They're right. part of the enterprise. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, where we went with Mr. Freeworth. Once the case was all over, documented many crimes, documented some road shootings, mm-hmm. um, untagged deer, you know, selling of deer, different members tagging deer for him, mm-hmm. permanently checking deer for him to to get that deer tag number right. so he could take it in and, and mm-hmm. get it processed. But the uh, at the end of the day, the prosecutor sat down, and we had a great discussion and talked about all these things and uh, came up with charging him with engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity, which is that RICO. Mm. And uh, a couple other family members you know, had to fall on the sword for that one. Uh, his, his spouse, his dad, his mom, especially the ones who were checking deer for him and committed those associated crimes. Uh, at the end of the day, they were charged, you know, they pled to lesser crimes out mm-hmm. of a plea agreement. Uh, but Mandon, he, he pled to his pattern of corrupt activity. He had 16 uh, charges in all, and he pled to, I think, all but nine of those. And he served two and a half years. He actually just got out. That's That case happened in 16, and uh, he literally just got out of jail. He served, he was sentenced to two and a half years, and he's served almost all of that in state prison. That's outstanding. Uh, I, I want to make sure uh, all the listeners know for deer crimes, deer crimes, this guy did two and a half years two in prison. Two and a half years. And it, it didn't help all of, you know, we talked about his little pill business and he mm-hmm. had other things that went on there. Right. But at the end of the day, the prosecutor looked at this and said, okay, you're the agency who brought this to us. You're mm-hmm. the ones who brought it to light. Uh, you've kind of cut the head off the snake on these other crimes. Right. And those things were used as leverage, obviously, mm-hmm. in negotiations with, with his attorney and pretrial conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, he pled primarily to wildlife crimes. There were a couple of weapons offenses. He, he had prior convictions. He was uh, under a firearms disability, so he had issues there. And uh, there were actually a couple of his associates that had prior drug histories or prior arrest histories. Mm-hmm. You know, a violent type, uh, and they were under firearms disabilities. So we had a handful of folks that had uh, felonies there because of their their previous history mm. and possession of firearms, going out and hunting, using a rifle. And they all knew they weren't supposed to have guns. Right. Uh, they would hunt at night, uh, do those types of things. To, mm-hmm. So they were, they were hunting illegally across the board because they already knew they weren't allowed to go out and, and possess a gun and do it like everybody else. Right. But uh, great case. And then we had a number of defendants that were purchasing deer and knew better uh, when we interviewed them they all knew they weren't supposed to be buying deer but they liked deer meat and, right and they were buying the big hint was uh, not for you know sale yeah yeah the, the hint know. right on the side of the package not yeah for sale. yeah I, there's um, no excuse there when you get a package of meat that says that exactly so when you just bought it exactly so that was a uh, you know that was a big case and that case actually moved very quickly through the court mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of a smaller wood county bowling green state university is there so those who that's not, even, that's not even well. your alma mater. No, not no. at all. But the, uh, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a smaller community. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of attention, a lot of immediate, a lot of media attention on this case. Mm. And uh, the case moved through pretty quick. I'd say 
from March 16th when, when the search warrants were executed, uh, within four months, those cases were adjudicated. Yeah. So it was, uh, tell us about the search warrants. Cause that, that seems like a huge undertaking. How many officers, how many places? How so many? we pretty much used all of our assets. Um, we probably had about a hundred officers and investigators on March 16th. Uh, we did, you know, search warrants and interviews across the North shore. Mm-hmm. So we had, uh, Multiple, multiple did, locations. Did you try to coordinate the, the search warrants as they went down? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, simultaneous. Uh, they were simultaneous. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the cases were interrelated. So even though they were being worked separately mm-hmm. um, and, and followed up on separately, uh, the defendants would know each other. We knew that there might be phone calls made. So we knew we right. had to hit everybody simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yes, we had multiple teams. We had a command center, a lot of, a lot of help in the command center. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Uh, the investigators that had been working the case, sitting there on the phone a lot, answering a lot of questions mm-hmm. for the, the folks in the field, knocking right. on the door. And sometimes that's hard for those investigators. You know, they want to be on the ground, you know. They want to be there. Being part of the search and being mm-hmm. part of the interview, but they can't because they've, they've got to be back at command. You know, I'm sure you had some investigators the out there oh, in the field. So yes. not but everybody the, was The better. core three or four mm-hmm. were at command with us. Right. Um, but – you know, the search warrants go out on, on Mandan's place. It was an ag- agricultural community. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're there at his place, and we had to track, go and run people down. You know, they, was your command post outside of the area? Because uh, over 100-plus officers and cruisers. That, those, oh, yeah. Our command, that, that is, were from uh, the west case to the east case. You're talking 9,500 miles okay. difference. That's, that's so, what I'm wondering. Because yeah. yeah, if, if, if a bunch of cruisers rolled into one of these uh, rural towns, that's, that, that, that's nope. enough to set fire aflame exactly. with the, the phone tree and what's going on. Exactly. And, and they uh, met early. You know, we knock on the door, 8 a.m., mm-hmm. knocking on the door. You know, these folks, most of them are out of bed at 8 o'clock right. in the morning. Mm-hmm. But Because uh, I've been all, all night shooting deer. Doing whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And we did it in March. It was in the spring. Yeah. Good Sounds like these guys didn't stop anytime. No. Sausage yeah. is good any time of the year. And it was a decent weather day. Mm-hmm. You know, folks are going to be out fishing that day or mm-hmm. what's going to be happening. Right. March in Ohio, if it's a good weather day, you should be on Lake Erie catching walleye. Wow. But uh, anyways, you know, you roll in, you've got a team, team of folks. Everyone's mm-hmm. got assignments. Some are searchers. Some are, you know, walking around with the video camera, video documenting, mm-hmm. interviewers, doing interviews. Uh, at that residence, you had, um, obviously, Mr. Freeworth himself, his significant other and uh, his dad so you've got you know people getting separated and doing interviews on site and uh, some of those interviews are hours mm-hmm. uh, if they'll talk we'll listen right and uh, lots of questions and prior to the takedowns obviously there's a lot of work um, mm. you know the the case reports need to be done and there's a in the case investigators who work those cases right 
list and list of questions to ask mm-hmm. to document each crime that they had documented along the way. Right. And then things that they, you know, through the interview, there's things that come up and they've got to document further. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, just getting the search warrants itself, you got to write the search warrants for each individual, depending jurisdiction. You're going to the judges, you're getting these things signed, and you're trying to coordinate this all at the same time. Right. So, because uh, the search warrants have a, a lifespan. So, absolutely. It's. Uh, this is a massive, massive undertaking. I want everybody to listen to this to understand. You know, you have a hundred plus officers, a briefing that was probably substantial, mm-hmm. um, questions, answers, different places, coordinating all at the same time. Uh, this is probably the biggest wildlife operation that I've ever heard about. And yeah, we uh, have coming up with a facility that we could bring mm, hundred officers together. Absolutely. Uh, and not draw a lot of question, mm-hmm. you know, in-service training, quote yeah. unquote. And that was that's an eight or ten hour day, depending on the teams. Right. Uh, they sit, they hear the overview of the whole case. Uh, that takes I do that usually takes about an hour just mm-hmm. to run through the overview of the whole case, and then they break up into their teams, and it's and then they have a specific into, briefing exactly, and they delve into the case, and we bring. Um, our team leaders get brought in a couple of days ahead of time. They get the packets ahead of time so that they can digest their case a little bit. Mm-hmm. And now it's, you know, who's going to do what, who's getting assigned to do this, who's doing which part right? and in uh, learning about the case and what questions we're going to ask. And we try to use local officers on those. And mm-hmm. some, sometimes it's tough because you've got multiple warrants going in that same vicinity, right. but you try to put the off- local officer there because they have local knowledge mm. and there's things that have happened that, you know, it wasn't, it didn't meet the sniff test to make it into a report mm-hmm. or whatever else. You know, they, as I mentioned with Mandy, he had 27 violation reports on you know, over the years. Mm-hmm. But our local officers had lots of local knowledge of other things they had heard that right. know, just didn't, like, didn't make sense at the time. It wasn't mm-hmm. enough to document. But now, boom, if it's in, you know, this was documented, this was documented, they're reading the case report. I'm like, okay, yes, I can bridge some gaps here. Nice. So there's a lot of things that happen. We usually put a day in between. Mm-hmm. So that there's a literally a 10 hour day for those guys all sitting together. Who's going to do what walking through looking at schematics of the house. Mm-hmm. Those are doing their entries right. and uh, how the interviews are going to go and just kind of putting two and two together. And then we give them a day in between a little debrief. So mm-hmm. them to think about the next day, usually they get together for a couple hours the next day, have some discussions and then boom, we all hit the doors at the same time. Right. On takedown day. Uh, we had in this case, uh, seven search warrants got executed all together. We end up using, we actually worked together with our public safety partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some, a couple cases I'll go through in a couple minutes that had a lot of crimes that have nothing to do with wildlife. And uh, they helped us out. We helped them out. Uh, electronic benefit mm-hmm. cards. So food stamp fraud, basically. Wow. Uh, we had some of that that was documented here and moonshine. Uh, a lot of receiving stolen property and stuff that was getting Somebody stolen. had a still in the sold. house, huh? Oh, no, no stills, just okay. this product. Okay. Yeah. Oh. But uh, we, we tend to run into that a lot as well in our cases. A lot of moonshine hmm. in northern Ohio. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Yeah. But, uh, so anyways, you know, working with our other partners, we had seven search warrants. We had a uh, one of our larger cases was developed that day out of an interview. And wow. Just an astute investigator who was able to ask a couple of the right questions and uh, getting invited into the front door and saw a pile of a deer hanging on a wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, the number of deer that he saw didn't add up to what was in the system mm-hmm. for, for that person. And we were able to get a search warrant. And then that was our 
second largest defendant uh, in the wow. whole thing. So it just you know, great, I call it gumshoe police work. You know, the, the officers on the ground, investigators on the ground. Right. Doing what they do best, and talking to people. And developing, cases developing cases out of this case. Yeah. So it was amazing. Uh, and a fair amount of that happened mm-hmm. out of these interviews. Yep. You know, Can you go into that one that, that that developed that was probably... The, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, and that is the big case. That's the, the two bookends. Where okay. We're okay. We were getting there then. I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't mean to push you. So you had the West case mm-hmm. uh, in Western Ohio with Brandon yep. Freeworth and company. Um, then you have on the east side was Cleveland, Cuyahoga County. Okay. Um, you know, Cleveland, the greater Cleveland area, 3.2 million people reside there. It's a lot of people. Uh, it's a lot of people. And you wouldn't think about a deer hunting case there. That's the last place you think about a deer hunting case. Uh, this case actually developed. We were working um, another crime. We were looking at folks who were selling sport fish. And uh, there had been a, a defendant developed. And case was to the point of we're you know, getting ready to take that case down. Just a, you know, been a few months and you know, doing surveillance, trying, documenting things. And we're ready to... To knock on the door, and our defendant passed away. One huh. of them, you know, as a, as a supervisor and the guy who's approving manpower and, and money going into this thing, it, those are disheartening moments. Mm-hmm. But out of that, uh, the investigator said, hey, as we've been doing this and documenting these other guys over here, and they're, I think they're selling deer. I think mm-hmm. they're moving a lot of deer. They talk about killing a lot of bucks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if, if you're okay, I'd like to to sit on this a little bit and, and see what we can make, do some surveillance here and see what we can uh, to make out of this. So I, I proved that we're there. They already, you know, know you've already area. invested quite a bit. We invested quite a bit of money there. Mm-hmm. And uh, out of that, literally in, in a very short period of time, we developed John's IAC and his crew. Mm-hmm. Um, John's IAC was a, he's a very intelligent man. Um, Big hunter loves to loves to hunt, mm-hmm. uh, but he also likes to talk and brag, <laughs> and that's as we see with so many of these cases, what get people in trouble. Uh-huh. But uh, he was pretty open about the deer that he would kill and the numbers of deer that he would kill, and uh, the investigator was able to start documenting. We had surveillance going on, you know, documenting all these different you know, instances, um, getting text messages of different deer like. Here's a buck this week, and here's a next week. He sends a picture of another buck, and three weeks later, a picture of another buck. And Ohio is a one buck state. You only <laughs> kill one buck per year. Okay. So, and, and the whole idea behind killing bucks was they needed meat, and bucks are big. You know, you, really, you can get uh, you can get a lot of a lot more meat off a buck than you can a doe. And these but guys, would does are so much more tender. Yeah. <laughs> but well, if you're when, making sausage, it doesn't really when matter. When you're making Smokies, and that's yep. what these guys were making with okay. Smokies, that's you know, that's where it's at. And it's so. Do you, you don't think it was about the antlers? It was about the size of the. Deer? Oh, it was about antlers too. Yeah, well, but I was going to say to the financial that's... aspect, it was all about. Uh, so know, he was benefiting deer. both sides. He's he's shooting big bucks, getting the racks, getting the bragging rights, yeah. and he's processing these. So he's paying for all his endeavors and then some. Exactly. Basically, he was paying his cost, putting a little extra money in his pocket. Yeah. Um, he had a couple other guys, so we come talking. This is an organized crime case, mm-hmm. so his co-conspirators. Um, he had uh, John Stofan, and um, there's a tale of three Johns, is what I always say. He had uh, <laughs> um, John Frost, who was actually an elderly gentleman, mm-hmm. who told us that he taught these guys how to do what they did. <laughs> 
And at the end of the day, there were two trophy deer seized from him that he probably didn't kill himself, that he uh-huh. just checked for these guys. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, you know, he was pretty boastful, and he got charged. He did check some deer illegally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so John Frost was, you know, the godfather yep. of this whole thing, taught him how to do it. And he had John Zayak, who was our kind of our central focal person, and John Stofan, who – John did not kill as many deer as John Zayak. John Stofan didn't kill as many deer as Zayak, but uh, his deer were much larger. Uh, he, <laughs> he was a little he, more picky. Yes, a little more picky, and and um, I think a little more selective. Mm. Uh, he was a little more patient, and uh, but again, that ego, he killed a lot of deer. Mm. And then there was Terry Ancrum was our our last big defendant there, um, and Terry was kind of one of. Uh, John's IX friends who had just gotten into deer hunting. He only, there were only a few deer seized from him mm-hmm. at the end of the day. He had just gotten into this, was learning to bow hunt and was just, we caught him in his infancy. We'll say, mm-hmm. even though he wasn't a young guy, he was just starting to get into it. Stofan and Ancrum would go out and they would kill deer as well. They killed nice deer and they killed numbers of deer and pretty much so they would keep their antlers and they'd give the deer meat to Zayak. Mm-hmm. And Zayak would take it. He'd get all the deer meat processed. We had a, there were a couple processors, but one main one who did most of their work. All the meat got deboned. Would go to a processor to get processed. It was all made in the Smokies. Everything is in one pound smoky packages. And then when Zayak would go back, he'd give, you know, give these guys here's some here's some meat for your toils. Thanks, mm-hmm. thanks, and give them some. Some meat was sold. Lot was lot was bartered for taxidermy. Okay, um, you know, here's. Here's 400 pounds of Smokies. Yeah. You know, thanks for doing my taxidermy work. And that that meat was subsequently sold. Um, we were able to document that through the case. Some so he didn't up. eat all the 400 pounds of Smokies. He, he distributed it. He distributed and, it. Yeah. And he gave a lot of it away as well. Uh-huh. Uh, the one interesting thing, so just give you some numbers And I love here. Smokies. I'm not sure if everybody's going to know what a Smokie is. Can, uh, uh, you know, think about, you've probably had Smokies at a party as an appetizer. In barbecue sauce, smothered mm, in barbecue sauce. The little hot dogs. Yeah, the little hot dogs. Okay. Uh, so that, that isn't what I was thinking of a smoky. I was thinking like a beef stick is what I was thinking they, of smoky. And that's actually what his are. Okay. He would also do... He would do the little hot dogs. He'd have the little tiny ones. They okay. Were, they were just his long ones all cut up. Yeah, okay. And then he had the... They were like five or six inch Okay, that's, that's what I was thinking, of, like a little yeah. beef stick made out of uh, yeah deer. Yep, and they were actually they were pretty good. You know, the, yep. this, the person that they used to process them is a... Well-known, a large company, processes a lot of deer for mm-hmm. people. And um, at the end of the day, was held accountable for his actions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the prosecutor was very adamant of what his actions were. He was actually charged with money laundering, another one of those predicate, predic- can't even say the word, predicate crimes mm-hmm. uh, under the RICO statutes. But uh, basically, he was taking all of this deer meat and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of deer meat and processing it into a product that uh, these guys could make money on, and that's money laundering. So some folks might think of drugs and money laundering. Or mm. someone, you know, you move it through a dry cleaning company or through a food company or some right. other way that stuff comes in and comes back out, and the money comes in one way, but it goes back out clean, so to mm-hmm. speak. And that's uh, the prosecutors felt very adamant that, that uh, he was laundering this money and, and was concert in that. And uh, at the end of the day, and what are your standards in Ohio for butchers? Do they have any responsibilities? Record keeping. 
Record keeping for record wildlife. Keeping for wildlife. So if they're taking deer in, they've got you know name, address, deer tag number. You know the date that it comes in, the date that it comes out. Those are basically the the requirements for us. Mm-hmm. The where the prosecutors went and and we agree, we did all the work for them. Um, you know he would show up with two hundred and seventy pounds of deer meat, boned out deer meat, and have two deer tags. Well, that's impossible. Mm. You know, we we like to boast about our big deer, mm-hmm. but they're not that big. They're not that big. So uh, we had to do a lot of work. Uh, and, a, and a professional butcher of all people. Yes. I mean, we as laymen can say, yeah, it's not that, that big. That sound right. So, but and a, a butcher, butcher who does this every day. Every day. Butchers yep. thousands of deer a year. Mm-hmm. Should know better. There's a higher expectation exactly. there for sure. Exactly. And at the end of the day, so the, we only, we seize deer back 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. seized everything because there was all kinds of illegal stuff mm-hmm. that he possessed illegally, untagged deer, stuff he couldn't account for. But we only basically went back two years. That was as on the misdemeanor side. There's two-year statute of limitations. Mm-hmm. We went back and we looked. Uh, some awesome things. So the, the search team shows up, uh, Investigator Klosterman and, and her crew. Uh, they show up at, at John's house. And remember this ego I was talking about. Mm-hmm. He wants to talk. And he knew, you know, he starts chatting and then pretty quick, it's like, I got nothing to say to you guys because you're here to clean my house out. And uh, there were 40, 48 or so deer mounts just in one great room mm. mounted on the walls. Uh, this guy was all about, all about his ill, ill gains. 48, uh, 48 deer mounts in a room. On one room on a, on a handful of walls. Amazing. I think altogether we took 60, 60 some deer out of his home. Wow. So, and uh, he had only been hunting since the late '80s, and we're a one buck per year state. So, you, so you, the math doesn't add up there, right? Just to help yeah. you out, Wayne. Yeah, no, I, I was trying to add it up. You can see that, <laughs> and I, I wasn't getting there. I'm like, how many? Who should he have hanging in there? Not, not that many. So. Exactly. <laughs> so it's uh, out of the search warrants and out of the case, just between the the big three. So mm-hmm. John Zayak, John Stofan. And Terry Ancrum, uh, we were able to document that 23 bucks and 17 does were taken in two hunting seasons. So <laughs> legally, they could take three, and they took 23. That's what we were able to document and prove. So uh, these guys were killing a lot of deer, and yeah. all of those deer were killed basically inner city, in neighborhoods where there's a little gully or whatever that runs down between the houses and, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of deer. Don't get me wrong. That mm-hmm. was one of the things we had to come up against here. You know, one of the judge, judge in the case hit a deer on the road, coming to work one day. <laughs> well, it wasn't you know, real we, thrilled with deer. Wasn't real thrilled with deer. And a lot of people, there are folks who felt that he should get an award, you know, because of that. And that's mm-hmm. just public perception. And then you had the sporting community who was outraged, outraged. over this whole thing. And especially it, trophy bucks, Getting Trophy killed and taking killed. opportunity away from them. Yeah, right. And we had some big deer. I mean, there's um, one of the deer who ended up actually going back. It was a legal harvest. Was a a nineteen thousand dollar deer in Ohio. And that was actually one of Mister Stofan's beautiful deer. Drop time. Um, we seized it and ended up giving it back. Then the day he was able to uh, show Proof us that it was legal we to go back through our system and and document that that was a legal deer. And uh, kind of was one of the last deer he killed before he. Went to the other side and mm. started killing multiple bucks. But uh, total Certainly number didn't of deer. deserve it. Exactly. Mm. Total number of deer that we were able to show our processor uh, handling was 44 deer. They were handled by the processor. Um, illegal deer that we could confirm were 19 that went through his shop. Uh, 3,000 pounds of deer meat over those couple of years. 
And uh, the processor alone made about $8,500. That was, mm. if you just look at what he was charging per pound, the process. Right, for the made poundage. made about $8,500 uh, across the board on that. So he was profiting and making good money himself. Mm-hmm. And 3,000 pounds of deer meat, that's a lot of deer meat. That, and it was all going back to one guy. Right. So what's he doing with it? Yeah. So we show up to do the search warrants. You know, obviously, I already mentioned all the deer and, and everything that's coming off the wall. Mm. Um, he would boast about having a diary. He talked about having a diary. He would talk about referencing, um, going back into, you know, he could tell you what he did 10 years ago. And so we knew we needed to find this diary. Right. We also knew that he had a list, a sales list. Uh, he kept track of who he gave stuff to and who he sold stuff to. Mm. Um, kind of had like this, it was, and it was very hodgepodge, you know, almost like a code you had to break. Really? So sometimes it had monetary figures next to it. Sometimes it didn't. Who did he sell to? Who did he buy? You know, not sell to who, who was gifted stuff. Right. Uh, it was kind of a little bit of decoding that went into that. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, um, at the end of the day, we were able to find both of those items. His sales list was basically a scratch piece of paper with all, like I said, yeah, kind of everything encoded on it. But then he had a diary, and it was hidden in his basement up above the ductwork. Um, that's where they found it at. Wow. And it was a he, – he basically, from the opening day of deer gun season – or deer season in Ohio to the last day that he hunted, he would document every day that he hunted, and he hunted a lot. Wow. And he, you know, would put down – he killed a – 11 point on this day, a doe on this day, a coyote on this day, saw two coyotes on this day, saw this many deer, had notes for every day that he hunted. And it was basically like a ledger pad, mm-hmm. had dates, dates down, you know, for every day that he hunted, and then notes across for what happened in each one. And we were able to compare those. One of the things that we found going through our harvest records, um, he may have killed a deer, and we were able to document that he killed a deer mm-hmm. but stuff just wouldn't add up or who who checked that deer for him and you know looking at family members and f- close friends and known associates and trying to like okay here's a deer that got killed and this person checked it and oh when we get to the diary he, he killed, killed that it. deer that was yeah. that deer was killed here and then obviously through the interview process you know if folks came clean yes yes i checked that deer for him no i don't hunt you know you start talking to them about how they're hunting with that day and they don't have a clue Right. Uh, folks that were non-hunters themselves. And there were some family members got wrapped up in that. Mm-hmm. They were pretty upset with dad or a husband. Right. You know, those types of things. What a gold mine to find a, a diary like that that tells you every day. And then you can go back and cross-reference and reference and cross-reference. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a lot of a lot. work. One of these guys was divorced and his ex-wife mm-hmm. still checked deer. When we talked to her. She hadn't hunted in years. So he was getting licenses in her name and oh my using her tags. And she had tags, no clue. She had no clue. Yeah. So it was a fair number of that stuff that was going on mm-hmm. and, and absentee children. And, you know, it was all kinds of different folks that were checking deer. So you think March 16th, this all goes down. We, all of this information. Hey, we've got all this evidence to process. Mm-hmm. We've got all these deer. Some have tags, some don't. Investigating the tags. Where, where did this tag come from? Right. Some of the tags we knew were wrong. Mm-hmm. We, we had an old metal tag system for years, and the tags were cut. So they were being had, used several times. We had metal tags on bucks that were, you know, once we go back through and we check, metal tags mm-hmm. on bucks that were a doe that was harvested in the right. system. 
So trying to, so that deer's, that's a dirty deer. Mm-hmm. Gotta, gotta prove your legal ownership of that deer. Right. Uh, so there was a, a lot of investigative work that went into that. And there were a lot of people that had to do it. Mm. Uh, again, and tedious work too. Yeah, exactly. And it was investigator Klosterman, investigator Rice, my crew, you know, everyone was, it was all hands on deck, mm-hmm. but it took months. Um, we went back in October. We had, we seized 11 phones in this case and going through all their pictures and their text messages and, you know, all those things. And it, all these new things developed that you had no clue about mm. and pictures of deer and text messages about deer and text messages from people sending pictures of illegal deer that you didn't even, weren't even part of your case. Exactly. And but you looked into a, that. Yes. Yeah, so now that's a follow-up that needs mm-hmm. to happen and assigning those to, you know, sending those out to the County wildlife officers for them to follow up on and, mm-hmm. and handle. So it was a lot of work. And then going through that sales list, we did uh, 41 interviews in October. So subsequent to this case. Mm. So the, everything that we developed, wanted to go talk to a bunch of the people who, either received deer meat and we didn't know why um, or received deer meat and had a price tag next to them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how much money was owed or whatever else. So uh, going through and talking to those folks and um, talk to the prosecutor ahead of time, you know, we were able to talk to these folks, you know, Hey, just tell us what happened. You're we're going to leave this out, leave you out of this as much as we can. We just were trying to document what happened here. And we were able to get a lot of folks come clean and, and uh, what they had paid or, why they had been given to them. Some mm-hmm. of it was bartering. Um, some of it was uh, Mr. Zayak had a tree trimming business. And if you were a good, loyal customer, here's some deer meat. Mm. Uh, some of it went straight in the trash can. There were some of the folks that got deer meat and just didn't like the thought of it and threw it away. It was just, there was all kinds of different scenarios involved in the case. Mm-hmm. That happened in October. Basically, you had another six months come out of all those interviews, sitting down, talking with the prosecutor, building a matrix, getting all this information together and who, who committed what electronic frauds, checking deer for them, um, all the different stuff going through. We actually put investigators in the field that are processors, some of our deer processors, weighing deer as they came in and then weighing the end product. Uh-huh. So coming up to with set up standards, mm-hmm. standardizing. So what, a year yeah. early, you know, we, I don't have those numbers with me, but mm-hmm. we, we're pretty Pretty good in Ohio right now. We can tell you that a, a yearling doe uh, comes in about this weight, and this is the percentage of meat you're going to get off that deer when, mm-hmm. it, when it leaves the, the butcher shop. Wow. And, uh, you know, a two-year-old doe, a large buck, we're, we can tell you about how much meat should come off of that. And mm-hmm. we've used that in subsequent cases down the road. Mm-hmm. Things, you know, the boneless meat thing. Right. Stuff isn't making sense, and we can say, now we know. It should be this ballpark for two deer tags. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Because a lot of people can relate to that. Cause when they show up to the butcher and they have this small box of meat and they brought in this deer and they think they yeah. should get a lot more meat out of oh, it. Yeah. And they're like, uh, I thought I was going to get more meat when, oh, that's, that's what you got when I take all the yeah. bones out. You get 50, 55 pounds back yeah. out of a, a decent sized deer. Size deer. You did pretty darn good. I, exactly. Yeah, you had a good butcher. Right. Yeah. There's right. not as much deer meat on, on there by the time you. Bones. And the smaller ones yeah. are a whole lot less. I mean, exactly. a yearling doe, not you know, much there. not much there. Real good and tender, oh, mind yeah. you. 22, 25 yeah. pounds of deer meat. Yeah, yeah you're but happy. when you're making sausage, they are absolutely right. You, yeah. you're, it's all about the size. It's not about the tenderness because you're going to grind that you're up. Grind it up anyways. Wow. So that was uh, that. Was that you know, that's, seems like an incredibly brief view of that case. Mm. Uh, but there were so many things that went into it. So 
a lot of interviews. You know, all did together. you do any of those interviews yourself? No, I did not. I'm back at command. You're back at command. Back at command, just kind of overseeing. Yes, no, do this, don't yep. do that. We're not going to waste our time here mm-hmm. communicating with the prosecutor. Right. Um, at the end of the day, this case was so big. You know, you can't. I still to this day, I I don't have everything up top. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sitting here as we're talking. Right. I'm looking at my laptop, like, oh yeah, here's some of these things. Right. Um, you know, coordinating with deer scores. Mm-hmm. That's kind of you know, we're going to pick this guy uh, to score all the deer for us, and we're going to, you know, here's where we're going to house. Who sets a value on we the had deer? 113 deer mounts. Where are you going to house 113 deer mounts? Yeah, Those no kidding. Facilities can't do that. So right. Basically, we you know, had to clean out a garage mm-hmm. and uh, take a whole garage. Lots of screws on the wall. Yeah, and make so sure my, no mice these. are going to be chewing them all up. Mice aren't going to chew on them. You know, make sure it's somewhat climate controlled so mm-hmm. that they're, you know, if, you never know. Some of these deer might go back. All those deer might go back. You mm-hmm. never know when you're going through right. this case. You've got to house that and evidence and try to keep it, it in the same way as you collected it. Those are the things that keep me up at night. Yes, exactly, because uh, that's the types of things you are thinking about as the organizer, as the supervisor absolutely. that's uh, doing this massive massive mission yeah um executing these search warrants and doing all that and yeah you know i want to talk about the prosecutor a, a little and i'm sure you worked with him because it it takes a special prosecutor to pull this off and i'm going through my mind and i, I, I you know somebody a that buys into fishing game law oh and, and did, never had been around it in his life really never so it couple of let me let me back up yeah back up john stofan i I mentioned uh one of our other investigators making this case uh just showing up to do an interview Mm -hmm. and boom you know a couple things are said and sees a couple things and uh, that was kirk Kiefer was our investigator there and his team end up with a search warrant taking 35 deer heads out of john stofan's house Mm. but they find a marijuana grow that was his second offense Uh busted for a marijuana grow in the past he was growing in his shed uh, but then he also had a pile of this. Now this is March. Yeah. You could still see the deer pile in the backyard. He had a deer pile with a motion light on it off his shed. <laughs> and that's, you know, we had heard there had been conversation. Mm-hmm. That that's where some of his big deer came from at right. night with a crossbow out the window. Yes. Um, and those. Cause that's a way to kill big deer. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, like I said, he had about half as many deer as Mr. Zayak, but his restitution value was, you know, $20,000 more because his deer were, were much bigger. Much bigger racks, but, much bigger deer. Exactly. The ones but, that came in to munch in the middle of the night and he whacked them with a crossbow. Exactly. Yeah. So you, now we come to the prosecutor. We're dealing Cuyahoga County, big county, you know, multiple courts. Um, we started out with the municipal court prosecutor, Ann Eisenhauser is her name. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Ann saw this right up front. As soon as we started talking to her about some things that were going on, she's like, you don't want me doing this case because if we do all of these wildlife misdemeanors in these seven or eight different court jurisdictions, it's going to be a, a nightmare for me mm-hmm. and B some of these courts aren't going to care. Some of these courts are going to be good. We're just going to have all kinds of different issues. You're not going to have consistent prosecution. Mm-hmm. So she said right off the bat, I need to refer you up with, I think this is, she actually, her words. I think you have a Rico here. And I think you need to talk to to the prosecutor's office in common pleas. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she made the connection for us, and, and uh, we we appreciate that a lot now. Mm. We got connected, uh, Paul Susie and James Gutierrez. 
Uh, Paul ran the economic crimes unit out of Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's Office. Mm -hmm. And uh, that office has a lot of history. Mobsters go back into the you know, early days of, of the mob. And, you know, that so they're very familiar the with RICO. Yes, very familiar. That's what they do. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and Paul gave us to Jim Gutierrez, who very able hands, never hunted a day in his life. Uh, lived in rural, rural, quote unquote, Cuyahoga County was basically uh, amongst the areas where where these guys were hunting at, mm -hmm. and uh, he knew you know, knew what we were talking about. Uh, had seen deer, you know, had a little bit of acreage himself, and knew all about the deer population down there. And um, that's the knowledge that he had. But he was not a hunter, mm -hmm. and uh, so we were able to. You know, he'd helped us out on a fish case many years before, which was a, a great fish case. Mm -hmm. But uh, he went through and he educate me. Tell me why this is wrong. Tell me why I should care. Mm -hmm. And uh, we basically gave him a hunting digest, explained everything that we had, why why we felt and why Ann had sent us up to him. Mm -hmm. You know what these are the crimes that have been committed and why we think it's a RICO. And he he could see it. He was able to con con put that together. Mm -hmm. And once you know our second meeting, he was on board hundred percent. Mm -hmm. And he had gone through the hunting digest. He had been listening to our stories. He had talked to a couple of friends that were hunters, yeah. uh, some fellow prosecutors that hunted, and they were just appalled. outraged yes. and appalled. Yeah. And he's like, you know, maybe this is a this is a bigger deal than I thought. Right. And uh, he ran with the case, did a great job. And at the end of the day, prosecution wise, you know, you, John's IAC, uh, fifty thousand uh, dollar assessment for his restitution he lost a vehicle out of the deal all of his equipment all but i think nine or ten of his deer heads you know he, the early stuff when he first started deer hunting yeah those were legally taken and legally properly tagged but mm -hmm. pretty much everything else uh was that's a nice forfeited. hit 50 grand lose hit. your truck 50 grand and you think equipment there are folks who are like got a problem with this i don't think that was enough and then it, huh. it's never enough exactly but in the reality of things i'm pretty impressed you got that and you gotta remember we're in cuyahoga county the most populated county in the state of ohio mm -hmm. um it's you know when you see what we dealt with when we went to grand jury um you know we're in grand jury you know jim's like oh, i'll probably take 45 minutes or an hour we're in there like two and a half hours Wow. The grand jurors had lots of questions. We had no hunters on a grand jury. Zero. Mm, so Not you even had, to had ever been around it. Every little bit. And we bit. had one fisherman guy at fish. Wow. So we had to basically start from scratch. Wildlife management 101. Mm -hmm. um, you know, why deer why are deer important economically to the people of the state of Ohio? Right. How are they everybody's property? Mm -hmm. How is this a theft? How, you know, here's when you kill a deer, here's what you have to do. This is the system. And you, you put a tag on it, and then you have to call that in and get a permanent number. That's what makes it your deer, not everybody's deer. And, you know, how, how you gain legal ownership. And having to go through all of those steps. And, and it took multiple of us going in there and having right. these discussions uh, with grand jury. But at uh, the end of the day, we got T-bills on everybody. who had 66-count indictment mm -hmm. on, on that. Uh, and I, I got to imagine normal people hearing that when it's explained to them, again, become outraged that this is happening to their wildlife. We actually, um, we did get some, you know, sounds like a really good case. Good job on your investigators. Mm. Uh, Jim himself, you know, I can't say enough for uh, Candy Klosterman and Chris Rice for the two investigators who took everybody's information and basically ran it through court in Cuyahoga right. County. It wasn't even in their own district. Mm -hmm. they, just have, they were the ones that were on the bigger search warrant. And they got tapped. 
mm-hmm. um, hours and hours and hours going through all the audio and listening to all the all the interviews, every interview going back through and picking up on the tidbits. There's oh, this was said, and we heard this in another audio a little while ago, and, <laughs> and bridging other cases. And um, you know they had I want to say just in one year between the two of them, you know, well over a thousand hours just in this case. Yeah. And uh, it takes them away from their other cases, takes them away from helping wildlife officers in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it was a sacrifice on everybody's part, but uh, those guys did a great job putting this case together. And Jim thinks the world of them. You know, he talks about working with all these other large police departments mm-hmm. and our product was a standout of all the things and all the investigations and all the crazy things he's seen in his career, this case was a standout and how well it was put together and documented. And that's a testament to our investigators mm-hmm. in Ohio Absolutely. and what they're doing. Yeah, so. and, and how they take their job very seriously and very yes. personally. And uh, that's one thing I think uh, almost every interview shows the passion of the game warden. And uh, they, they just bring that to the table, and it just makes a different work product in the right. end when you have passion for and what you're doing. professionalism, wanting to, uh, wanting to do it and do it right. And, mm-hmm. You know, pretty much all the court jurisdictions we ever deal with. Lorraine County, we haven't even talked about the Lorraine stuff yet, but another mm-hmm. big city on the North Coast. But uh, all of those prosecutors were like, this is a deer case or a fish case, and you're bringing me binders of mm-hmm. information. You know, there's <laughs> there's more information here than I can even review to right. take this thing to trial, so I'm trusting you. Right. You know, it's here, and it's like it's there. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing there in there. Uh, we've had prosecutors tell us on homicide cases, they come in loose leaf in a file folder thrown together and we show up with a deer case and <laughs> it's in a binder and table of contents. And, uh, well, yeah. One of my new guys had a felony and you know, the prosecutor has a, you know, a punch list. And some of it's extreme, according to me. So I, I never filled out the punch list, you know. I just I gave him what I knew he needed and handed it in. And that's what most of us did. And I kept asking Jim where he was, where he was, and he was still investigating. So it was taking a long time. And then he brought the end product to me. He filled everything out on that, you know, on our county attorney's punch list. I've never seen that happen. Nor had the county attorney <laughs> when he brought it to him and was like, no one's ever done this. And it was like you said, it was a big, thick three ring binder that Jim went through every little detail and filled that out. A, because he was new. Mm-hmm. He didn't know any better. I'm like, yeah, you don't need that. So you're not going to get it. So, yeah. but that's, my, of course, my opinion. <laughs> but Jim filled out everything. And that, again, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a testament. But at the end of the day, that's, that's what makes the prosecutor's uh, job easy. Exactly. And that's what they want. And they want to flip yeah. through that binder when they need information. It's there. It's right there. And there, we were. There were roughly, in this case, uh, there were over 100 court hearings that we attended, and Cuyahoga County was a pile of those. Uh, we didn't didn't miss anything, but there were, you know, Jim would have these conferences. He'd see these attorneys on another case yeah. somewhere else, and they would, the deer case was the topic of discussion. And, uh-huh. of course, Jim took a ribbing from his fellow prosecutors there in Cuyahoga County. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, when you're talking, sure. I don't know how many there are there, but there's got to be. 150 prosecutors in that office. And, yeah, I'm sure around Christmas time, everybody was wearing antlers. Oh, and, yes, notes on his door. No, yeah, ex- yes, yeah, cartoons. Yeah, that, that, there's yeah. no Poor doubt. guy, yeah. poor guy. <laughs> but uh, I think he's he's very proud of this case at the end of the day. And, yeah, and, uh, and that other one, the the, the tail end of uh, Operation North Coast there, the, the one we hadn't talked about, Lorraine, is that? So, well, and also all part of. Okay. So meanwhile, and interestingly enough, as... Cuyahoga County stuff was going on with Zayak and crew. 
mm-hmm. there was deer meat coming from Cuyahoga County going over to the Toledo area, which is where Mandon was at. And some deer meat went to same processors. So there was, you know, that's where those were connections in between these cases. And then in, basically in the middle, so Ottawa County, Lorraine County, um, if you know Cedar Point, it's kind of like yeah, that's where the there. that's where the amusement park is. The amusement park, yeah. So you think kind of central basin of Lake Erie, great fishing there. Mm. Um, and in Lorraine, we had a handful of cases that were primarily fish. Um, we had folks going out sport catching fish mm-hmm. and bringing them home, cleaning them, and selling them. And some of them were advertised on Craigslist. That was the one case. <laughs> the Taylors, Carl and and uh, oh my goodness, I can't remember her name, but uh, Carl and his wife. Uh, we're going out and sport catching fish like crazy, mm-hmm. selling it on Craigslist. They were also <laughs> selling it through a local market. And uh, the, that's where we ended up working with our our uh, partners at Public Safety, uh-huh. uh, Liquor Controls, what they used to be called, the Ohio Investigative Unit. Yeah, But those guys, uh, they did some great work documenting the same stuff. They received, you know, they had their own tips. We were able to use uh, electronic benefit cards to purchase stuff and cash out and do all the fraud on those mm-hmm. uh, those guys did a great job on that case and helped us out with the tailors at the end of the day tailors were restitution for them was around eleven thousand uh, dollars wow. just in fish just in fish just in fish yes yeah, so that's how much fish and they were selling it like i said on craigslist they had folks had reached out to them sent them emails said hey you can't do this it's illegal and um they didn't care the response was basically you know frank union yeah clean here on the air yeah but uh you know and that literally, that's what she said, mind your own business. All right. We're going to do what we want. So uh, made it pretty easy. Pro- mm-hmm. Prosecutor like that. How about a, the market they were selling quote. into? It was a local, just a little market in yeah. downtown Lorraine, uh-huh. um, you know, just in a neighborhood. And they sold everything else under the sun. But when public safety came in, we kind of, we sent investigators to work with them, our commercial fish guys. And this is where the food stamps there. came in too, because you could use stamps, your food stamps for the walleye. There, and oh, there was moonshine too? Yeah, moonshine in this case and that part of the The store case. was selling moonshine and... The store wasn't, but there okay. was moonshine with other known I, I, associates okay. right there. Gotcha. But, uh, but public safety guys were able to go in and they executed their own search warrants there along with ours. Mm-hmm. And uh, we seized fish, a lot of fish out of the freezers in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, they had stolen property that was you know, being basically had been stolen, taken to the store and was being resold. And there was all kinds of crazy things that, that happened out of that store. And uh, we had our defendants and they had theirs. And mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a great information sharing and a, a great uh, a testament to the agencies working together mm-hmm. and those folks that did that. And that case was not one of those. It was so locked tight. All those folks pled out. Mm-hmm. Like there was an arraignment first pretrial, everybody pled out. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, Taylor's were over about $11,000 in uh, restitution alone mm-hmm. and uh, you know, no jail time or anything stuff hanging over their head, but uh, no jail time to be served. Gotcha. We had a, a gentleman was a fish cutter in Lorraine. Um, he went out, caught a lot of fish. We think he was skimming also off of his the folks he was cutting fish for. Mm-hmm. And he was selling. We bought 136 pounds of fish off of him. Wow. Controlled by. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911, 
and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, 136 pounds in one controlled And those are fillets? Those are all filleted fish. That's a lot of fish. One, two, and three-pound packages. Wow. uh, Yeah, and he just wanted to unload it. And uh, that was a Craigslist case, man. That was a start out on Craigslist. So <laughs> you see that stuff out there, folks, let us know. Yeah. Because it doesn't sit there for long. Yeah, call the Ohio tip line, turn yeah, the poacher. Exactly. So don't don't go email them that you can't do that. You know, yeah. e- email Ohio Wildlife Division and uh, let, let them know. Give them a yeah. tip. So they'll, they'll, they'll take care of it. They'll take care of it. Yeah. And then uh, we had a deer case in Lorraine as well. We had a, a campground, and they had a little bar in the campground, and they would sell deer, pro- you know, deer products. They'd support Go out and hunt deer, yeah. process them, and they were selling, selling stuff across the bar. <laughs> Smokies and everything, jerky, yeah, you name it. They'd sell it out across the bar. And uh, those guys was a father-son duo. They would sell it outright, sell product, or you could you know, basically uh-huh. eat it at the bar. Right. And uh, those guys were about 3500 bucks. They were, they were just killing deer, nothing. No trophies, yeah. unlike that, just whatever they could get their hands on. And, yep. But again, you know, not tagging deer – improperly tagging deer, all of those things. And uh, those were uh, good cases, mm. good cases made by that team. And uh, probably the last one we're talking about here, um, we had a, a guy down in Mansfield area. So he's an hour off the lake, but he lived at the lake. Mm-hmm. And he would uh, double and triple trip on perch, uh, which means catch a limit, come back in. What's the limit of perch? The limit of perch is 30. Oh, catch wow. 30 fish a day. Mm-hmm. So he would catch his limit, come in, dump those fish, go back out, catch another limit, come back in, and sometimes he'd go out on a triple trip. Jeez. The third but now they were day. biting, huh? And catching fish. Yeah. Doing well. But he was coming home, cleaning those fish. He had his own commercial um, set up. Set up. Mm-hmm. And he would sell those fish in the Mansfield area. Um, he was a, well, colorful is probably the best way. He's a real friendly guy. <laughs> when we dealt with him, he was not very happy. Mm. but ended up with three different counts. He was one that was selling moonshine as well. He, he had sold some moonshine to an investigator. Uh, at the end of the day, just to tell you the quantity of fish. And you have a commercial perch We have a commercial fishery. fish, but there's only very it's, small. It's very limited. Okay, so our, there's limited our, licenses. Limited licensing, yep. commercial gear. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to sport catch. Right, in, but there could have been license. certainly, um, it was a good cover because there was a commercial. Oh, yeah. So, a lot of them are. And sometimes uh-huh. we get complaints about people selling fish illegally and they turn out being legal fish mm-hmm. that came from a commercial netter. Gotcha. But uh, not the case here. Right. But uh, we were able to get him uh, charged on three felony counts uh, of selling fish. Mm. He's got to get to that felony amount. Right. And uh, $6,200 in restitution is what uh, he was ordered to pay. The significant part about his case was that he uh, he fought this case all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was appealed and appealed and appealed, different aspects of it. And we had this happen in a couple of, of the cases. Our restitution value law was relatively new, mm-hmm. um, 2013 or so, 2012, 2013. Right. And uh, we've had a couple of tests on it. And just to let everybody know, was, restitution, basically, if you take an animal, there's a price established by it, and that's what you have to pay back to the state for illegally taking that animal, right. whether it's a fish, whether it's a deer, whether it's, a, yeah, I'm trying to think, turkey. Yeah, endangered species. Endangered species. You know, all kinds of different things. And there's a right. value assessed, and it's based on, you know, it's not just where we fought and have these discussions in court mm. and where the courts, you know, came back and, and what we were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just the license 
that they mm-hmm. had to buy. It's all the associated stuff. It's right. the hotels. It's boat gas. It's the food people buy. Mm-hmm. Think of all those tourism dollars that for people who come to Lake Erie and fish. Our management costs, mm-hmm. what we're doing on the lake, and all the things that happen there. You know, Lake Erie, the Ohio portion of Lake Erie is a $700 million a year fishery. Mm. It's huge. And, and, you, and we know roughly how many fish come out of the lake. Mm-hmm. You start doing that math. Right. Uh, perch is worth $20 in restitution value. Mm-hmm. And if you do the math, it's worth a lot more than $20 if you right. think about the economic value of Lake Erie. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the jobs and all the associated you know, things that go along with that. So it's, uh, we were able to have all those discussions in court and went through the appeals process. And all of the appeals courts stood on our restitution value and how we established those values. Mm. And... Uh, uh, that was an, so he an fought important. every little he thing. Fought, he if, he, actually, if he's fighting restitution, he's fighting yeah. everything. And he didn't have a high end attorney. You know, this he had an attorney that kind of took this on his own and kind of did some of this stuff pro bono. Yeah, because uh, had these questions himself, and he pushed it and pushed it, and and we won every appeal. Huh. And it's uh, been a great uh, boost uh, in other cases. Right, it gives uh, you so much more clout in other cases because exactly. here we have case law now saying that you know. It's having that case law has been been big for us, and, mm-hmm. and uh, yet you get other cases down the road, and they're not nearly as big, and you you, know, you have attorneys yeah. or their defendants crying out that twenty dollars fish is outrageous. Like, well, uh, here's here, the case law. Read, read this appeal. <laughs> <laughs> this has been upheld yeah. in multiple cases already. So absolutely, you know, kills kills their argument right mm. off the bat when you can throw them a, some case law. Yeah, and I'm just thinking if you're arguing restitution, you're arguing every little thing. Oh. Yes. So, and we did. That was mm-hmm. I was on the stand actually. In that case, I was I testified. Uh, I was on the stand for about an hour. Mm. And was grilled. Yeah. And even the judge asked some questions, which was you don't see that very often. Right. Um, you know, was, wasn't very was fishy judge. No, he was great actually. Judge. Yeah, was, but he, he had some questions on. But he had his questions were what the prosecutor was missing and some things that I was trying to get out mm-hmm. the questions weren't getting asked and uh, he finally i think he recognized that and he had a couple of questions himself like okay so you're saying this or you're just trying to clarify, clarify some points mm-hmm. that, that he didn't get out of what the, the right. attorneys in the room had been asking yeah because sometimes and, uh, it's, it's cloudy yeah oh so, absolutely intentionally and I don't think the prosecutor nor the attorney intended to go down that road that day, but we ended up there. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it was neat. There were, we had a couple of reporters in the room that day. So uh-huh. there was some good media attention that came out of that case. And, but at the end of the day, the most important thing about that case is, you know, the, what the courts did for us and, and mm-hmm. standing behind our restitution value. And yeah, it's $6,200 for a guy who really didn't have a lot. You know, mm-hmm. That's what he was trying to make. Right. That was quote unquote yeah. a living off mm-hmm. of. But uh, you know, it's and he's paid. He paid his restitution off pretty quick. Mm. So, um, took care of business, and uh, but it's all the other stuff associated. That case was important for more than just the impact on the resource. Gotcha. It's all the other associated things that happened out of that case. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, and that kind of, like I said, it seems like there's there's a ton of little stories in this case and things uh, and offshoots. I, I, I can imagine. Turkey cases and other fish cases. And, you know, over 100 officers involved, the, the you know, yeah. the time, the effort. The, a lot of reports to review, lots of. Yeah, of course. There, there's a case here, there's a case there, shoot off here, a turkey here. Yes. Yeah, no, that's how these uh, big yeah. cases. And it sounds like you went down every 
question every road, every turkey, every fish, every deer, and you investigated to make sure it was taken legally. And if it wasn't, you charged it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then oh. at the end of the day, you know, you, a lot of prosecutors, we dealt with a lot of courts, a lot of different prosecutors, and mm-hmm. uh, just trying to keep, you know, I have my own little, I have my own access database just of all the stuff that was going on and trying to keep track. And mm-hmm. and then, you you know, you're trying to tally. Uh, at the end of the day, we haven't even gotten here yet. At the end of the day, the total uh, restitution and fines in the case were about $133,000. And just trying to track all of those things and track mm. who's on, you know, folks who lost their licenses. You know, there's about nine years right. of license revocations that came out of this. Wow. Um, some, well, nine years just on Mandan, if I remember right. <laughs> but the... You have all these different, we got to do forms to make sure that they're in the license system and, you know, all the administrative stuff that goes with that. It's, right. There's a lot of things that happen, a lot of behind the scenes. And, yeah. And uh, it's not any one person uh, you give credit to. It, it was a, <laughs> No, that's a huge team. It was a team effort uh, by everybody. And, you know, those were two um, big Ricos for us. We, about a year later, uh, end up having investigators in our district three, kind of our Akron, Northeast Ohio. Mm-hmm. Those guys did another wildlife RICO on uh, guys that were killing deer illegally and, you know, TV show involved, uh, um, an officer, uh, police officer was involved in that, uh, end up losing his job ultimately over all this, all over a bunch of deer stuff. Mm. And that ended up being another RICO case. So we've seen that now we've had four in our agency history. One was commercial fish. Our first one years ago was a, commercial fish case yeah and we have these three big deer wildlife ricos mm. uh in, in a short period of time and very effective they've been great uh, right. cases for us and kind of a new you know it's it's 2019 you know, yeah some of our laws are i'm not gonna say antiquated but we've been doing business the same way for a long time uh-huh. time to look at things differently and prosecute these cases differently and, and make these cases what they are they are fraud mm-hmm. they are thefts from people of the state of Ohio or whatever state you happen to be from and, mm-hmm. and uh, all these electronic crimes that they're committing in the course of doing these right. illegal things. And it's prosecuting for what they are. Exactly. And, uh, make an impact. Yeah. And if I'm a sportsman in Ohio, I'm ecstatic that you're doing this. I am extremely happy to hear about this and the prosecutions and that you're stopping poaching. Yeah. And what's funny, we get a ton of great feedback when you hear about this case or I talk to people and, you know, I've gone to some conservation clubs and, and highlighted this case for, for the officers in the field, you know, asked me mm-hmm. to come to them and everyone accolades, everyone's so happy about the case, but that's all, that's all they got. Yeah. And it's, and it's unusual to hear, you know, when you hear these guys, basically a handful of defendants, mm-hmm. 36 defendants in all, most, of, most of them were buyers and low level folks got a hundred dollar fine and moved on. Mm-hmm. There's $133,000 and fines and restitution mm. that's pretty significant no I, a, I i would agree well, these, these folks especially hurt. dealing with the court systems and uh having things assessed and such like that yeah. so no yeah. i think you did an outstanding job to have someone go to jail for two and a half years for a wildlife violation is incredible right that just goes to show that the, the good hard work you did in it and yeah. the significance of the case so yeah. um yeah it's it's to me it's you, you you got what you got because you if you want if you want more of course yeah you know every sportsman every officer wants more but when the reality comes down to it we don't have a lot of say in that yeah and it was interesting even Cuyahoga County you know again big big court mm-hmm. we 
we had to show up and we would sit in waiting for our cases to get called and you're listening rape cases murder uh assaults i want any well, murder cases no murder it's not that day homicide or uh, assaults yep. serious assaults mm-hmm. you know, all these different cases that we would hear and then okay all these guys up for this for this deer case mm-hmm. and it was definitely you can see where in the courts you know they're like okay we changing gears here we're going from all these serious crimes against people now right. to crimes against society right and it, it was you definitely could, you could see it and and you know sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's like, not taken as seriously exactly and sometimes it's taking just as seriously or even more seriously because the person listening uh, understands the environment understands the importance of wildlife and understands the importance of the work that's getting done right. there so and that's what hopefully uh we're, we're gonna you know send that message out because uh you know once it's gone it's gone exactly so we, we got to take this serious exactly and it you know, there's municipalities in Cleveland that allow hunting mm-hmm. there, and which is hard to believe under, you, know, you can see skyscrapers and you're allowed to hunt there. It's a great thing that those municipalities are doing. Or and, and there's some price awesome significant animals tool. there too. And there are some spectacular bucks coming yes. out of that area. And, uh, you know, when it's done right, it's a great tool for us. Mm-hmm. But you know, just make sure everybody's doing it right. And right. It's fair and equitable for everybody. And Right. And then the judge isn't hitting the deer on the way to work if we're in there <laughs> harvesting them. So... Yeah, exactly. it works out. So, but um, hey, Ron, thanks and thanks a lot for taking your time and going over this case because uh, you know the the biggest deer case in Ohio is something that everybody should hear every place. Uh, hopefully, I can do this with every state, every big big case like this. But uh, you know, when they when they see the pictures, I just every time I see that picture, I get overwhelmed. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of deer. I, there's a lot of deer. There's a lot of big deer. You know, you, you took some serious players out. You, you, that resource is probably rebounding because of it. Uh, you, you did a great job for the sportsman. You did a great job for wildlife. All, all of your your whole team did. And That's it, why we do out, it. Out, outstanding. That's why we do That's it. exactly why we do it. So thanks for taking the time, sharing that specific story. At some point, we'll get you back, and we'll get your history and some other cases. So take Look care, man. Look forward to it. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.
A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Watch Waypoint TV's Great Outdoors Month celebration presented by Battery Tender every Tuesday in June from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Join us for land management tips, family hunts, and conservation-centric films as we show our appreciation for the great outdoors.